Welcome back to the Global Digital Banker Podcast. This week, we take a look at open platform banking in the US and explore the opportunities for banks and fintechs alike. Guests include Imran Haider, Head of Open Banking at Wells Fargo, and Susan French, Head of Product for BBVA Open Platform in the US. Kicking off, Imran shares the journey at Wells Fargo since launching the platform back in 2016, how they're enabling 24-hour customer control and consent through their control tower service, and the biggest benefits to be gained by commercial and retail banks. I'm joined by Imran Haider, Head of Connected Banking for Wells Fargo. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Adele. Excited to be here. Yeah, so you've been at the forefront of this open banking initiative in the U.S. market. I think it was back in 2016, the bank announced their first open banking APIs. So can you start by sharing a bit about the journey and what was the experience when you first launched back in 2016? Yeah, absolutely. So so when I think about open banking, I think about connected banking, there's different terms that describe really the same thing. Mm. You know, the, the value driver for us is distribution. If you think about banking, you think about success in the banking industry it really is about distribution. It's about bringing product to customer in the experiences that are most relevant for them. And you think about the history of branches, and you've got ATMs, and you have online banking, mobile banking. So you're always looking at opportunities to bring product to customers where it's relevant for them. Today, you know, three-fourths of our interactions are digital at the bank with customers. So we want to we want to figure out how to bring functionality, data, services, payment initiation to customers in digital experiences outside of our website. And APIs was really logical sort of, you know, technology to, to achieve that, enable that. So we launched our API channel about three years ago, and it's a channel that supports the entire company, supports everything from uh, our wholesale lines of business to, to home mortgage, to credit card, really one platform to help us reach the customer in the experiences that are relevant for them. Yeah, I think we've definitely seen um, in the UK um, a growing need for that personalization piece. And I think customers are willing to share their information in an open banking environment or sharing it via APIs across organizations to have that more personalized, tailored service. So a few years on now, how, how has this proposition evolved? What's been the, the change in feedback? Yeah, so I mean, things are going really well. We've hit our hockey stick from an adoption perspective. I think, uh, you know, when you think about APIs and you think about what we're trying to achieve here, you know, finance is all about context. So you think about finance, you know, you get a loan. Um, when you get the loan, you're not getting a loan for the loan's sake, right? You're getting a loan for something. You're buying a vehicle, you're buying a house. If you're a commercial customer, you're buying equipment. And, and, and really that's the key focus. And then the lending portion is a step you take in that workflow of, you know, purchasing that that particular asset. So, so what APIs allow us to do is bring some of that functionality in the customer's workflow, so they don't have to leave that workflow, go to the bank, enter a bunch of data, and then sort of you know jump back and forth. So the the experience has been great. We've got uh, good adoption, got good usage. At the center of really our strategy is customer control and customer consent. So on the retail side, we have a product called Control Tower. And the experience is, uh, you know, as follows: you you are on a third-party site. You see a Wells Fargo logo. You click on that logo. You get redirected back to online banking. In online banking, you authenticate as a consumer or a small business, 
And at that point, you, the customer, are in control. You pick and choose which accounts you want to view on the third-party site, including which data elements. And you, put, you know, place a check mark on those different elements, and then you get redirected back. And anytime you do not want to have that data go into the third party, you just come back to our, you can obviously go to the third party and say, I want to close off my account. But you can always come to us at Wells Fargo in Control Tower. You can remove those check marks and the data no longer goes from Wells Fargo to the third party. So the customer's in control. Of, yeah, that's uh, great. Data so they can comes. basically just switch it on and off as they please. That's right. that's right. I think that's so important. I mean, empowering the customer to really control their data. Because data is probably one of the most valuable assets an organization can have these days. And empowering your customer and giving them that trust in you as an organization is extremely important as well when it comes to things like this. So besides customer journey and the efficiencies and better user experience that's creating for your customers, what other benefits do you see playing out or what have your customers shared with you in terms of what open banking being able to allow them to do? Yeah, so you know the interesting thing I think in open banking right now is that uh, there's a lot of focus on consumer, but a lot of the use cases that drive really strong value for customers are in the wholesale commercial business space, right? There's customers who have accounts payable, accounts receivable, they're doing cash management, and for them to bring the bank into their systems and be able to view invoices, pay invoices, reconcile, all within their, you know, their platforms, is really, really important. It's, it's, it simplifies their financial tasks. It allows them to, you know, make better decisions. So we've seen a lot of wins in that space. On the consumer side, I think the use cases, truthfully, are are just emerging, right? So we've been in the space for a couple of years. There's, a, you know, use cases where you're eliminating screen scraping, aggregation. Those have a lot of value and a lot of traction. I think there's many, many use cases for for consumers. In Europe, you've got PST2. PST2 goes live in September, approximately, so it's not in the market as such as yet. So I think you'll see a lot more happening on the consumer space in terms of use cases. Um, the benefit that we have is creating that single channel and supporting all lines of business within the company is we've got wonderful learnings on the wholesale side, and we're seeing some good, good examples, good opportunities for small businesses and retail. So definitely looking to those other markets for best practice and learnings as you continue to develop in the U.S.? You know, so the funny thing is we launched our channel before there was any regulation in Europe. So we've actually been running that technology for over three years, while most banks in the rest of the world are just starting on the journey. So absolutely, I think there's things to be learned as those markets come on, uh, uh, go live. But we've been doing it for three years and have learned... Uh, how to optimize our channel, we've learned what the demand is, we've learned how to use the technology. So I'd say that uh, we're a couple steps ahead. Yeah. And when it comes to consumers and working with SMEs in the commercial side, some of the initial roadblocks, say in the in UK for open banking, was around, first of all, an education piece, understanding what it meant, and also trust with data. So how do you address that? How do you build trust amongst consumers when it comes to working in these open data and API share environments? Yeah, for sure. So so open banking, and I think this is true for any of the countries that are looking at open banking, implementing open banking, third parties are always vetted. Third parties don't go to a bank and just get access to APIs. Right? Even in the UK model, even in PST2, in Australia, Canada, not quite there just yet, 
there's always either a government agency or the bank itself that does some form of vetting for the third party. And that's really important because security, trust, you know, there's there's three elements to this, right? There's a bank, there's the third party, and there is the customer. And we talked about the customer having control over the data, choosing what elements to provide and when to provide them. And then it's important that that third party be appropriately vetted in terms of like, are they transparent with the end user? Do they have the right infrastructure controls? In the UK, there, I think there's a government agency that does that. In the US, there isn't. So then we take on that task as a bank to do that level of due diligence. We've got a pretty rigorous you know, process around that to make sure that we've got some good legitimate use cases with the right level of security mm-hmm. and transparency. Great. And then what's next for the year ahead? Have you got anything in the works that you're able to share? <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, when you think about technology, technology really is about... There's a there's a concept that I, I think is really meaningful, which is the democratization of technology. Technology that is com- complicated uh, over time becomes more accessible and usable by a much broader base. You know, you think about... The example I love to share is... You go to, you know, Consumer Electronics Show, for example, in Las Vegas. You see, you see a TV, you love it, it's huge, it's razor sharp. And then you look at the price tag and it's really expensive and you can't afford it, right? And you're like, oh, whatever. Maybe, maybe in the future. And then a couple of years later, you go to a store and you see it and it's 19.99 and, you know, your neighbors are like there trying to buy it as well. And, and it, what's happened there is the, the production processes have improved and the price points come down and the technology is widely available. The software is a little different. It's not so much about production costs. It's about simplifying the product. So you think about e-commerce. E-commerce, many years ago, you needed a whole development team, uh, specialized knowledge to create a shopping cart, to create uh, a whole e-commerce experience. Now today, as a tech novice, I can go to a website. I can literally drag and drop the functionality into my website for an e-commerce flow. And I can be running up and running in like 15 minutes. Yeah, it's incredible. It it really is. So so I think with APIs, we're on a similar journey. We've gone from the old school APIs, which took six months, a year to implement with a bank, to the current APIs, which, you know, we've had customers implement in a couple of weeks, which is really, really fast. (laughs) If you think about historically connecting to a bank, Mm. uh, but we've had customers do that. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll move into the realm where those integrations will become even easier. So we're working on tools, working on software development kits, plugins that ultimately make this kind of experience available to a much broader set of partners. Wonderful. Well, it's going to be really interesting to follow the story and see how you continue to lead this space in the U.S. market. Imran, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks so much. Up next, Susan explains the objectives behind the launch of BBVA Open Platform how they're accelerating bank distribution through the offering, and the types of businesses that will benefit the most from partnering with them. I'm joined by Susan French, Head of Product for Open Platform at BBVA in the US. Susan, how are you? I'm good, thanks. So we caught up a couple months ago, you were sharing some of the latest news around the BBVA Open Platform. It's such an interesting offering, it's something I definitely know our listeners will love. So can you start by sharing a bit about the the Open Platform itself and the objective behind launching it? There are a couple of objectives. One of them is that we really believe strongly that there's an opportunity to enable innovation in fintech and and in non-fintech businesses by providing 
banking services through a white-labeled API interface enables clients to receive and deliver banking services to their clients but still retain control over the overall customer experience so they can define their business, their use case, their customer experience the way they need to and then still be able to deliver banking services that are essential to their value proposition. The other reason is that it provides us with an opportunity to bring customers to the bank who might not otherwise be customers of the bank because they're outside of the geography footprint of the bank or they're you know, otherwise not the kind of customers who normally come to a retail bank for their services. So both of those are important propositions for BBVA Global generally, but also for BBVA Open Platform in the U.S. And really expanding that reach beyond, as you mentioned, the people who would normally go for retail banks. So in terms of the key services offered, what does that look like from your perspective? Today we have four primary services on the platform. We have identity verification for both consumers and businesses. Under the U.S. regulatory banking scheme, you know, we have to know our customers and we have to provide our clients with the ability to do the required customer identification and KYC on their end customer. And so we provide a series of APIs for them to do screening on their customers and verify identity. We have a service for account opening accounts. So we can open DDA accounts electronically through the API as well as provide clients with all the usual management tools, obtaining transaction history, getting real-time notifications on transactions that are posted to the account, opening, closing, blocking, etc. Service. Full service for DDA. We have a card issuance service, so we issue co-branded debit cards against those DDAs. So clients who have a need to in their business give their customers debit cards can do that electronically through our platform. And just like with accounts, the debit card issuance service provides all the usual management tools, you know, setting limits, blocking, unblocking, reissuing, etc. And the fourth service, which is really kind of the centerpiece of what we do, is what we call Move Money, which is our overarching sort of payment service. Move Money was intended to be as simple as possible for clients to use with as much variety of functionality as possible. So the APAY itself is very simple. It only has four arguments. The source of the money, the, the destination, the amount, and any metadata that the client might want to attach to the payment. Uh, the beauty of the service is that by understanding the nature of the source accounts and the destination accounts, we can figure out which set of payment services need to be invoked in order to move the money from one place to another. And the client doesn't need to understand how ACH works, how the card networks work, how bill pay works. They just need to know where the money is coming from, where the money is going to and how much they want to move. It also gives us the flexibility to snap in other forms of payment into the same interface, the same integration that a client's already. So if we add a faster payment option or we add something else, the client that's already integrated kind of gets it automatically, which is a huge benefit. So you mentioned fintechs then. So what are the types of organizations that you are onboarding onto this platform so far? When we think about the types of businesses that could most benefit from this kind of platform, we really we categorize them into five groups. 
kind of the most obvious one is neo banks, challenger banks. So if you're a digital bank appealing to a, a specific demographic and you need to be able to open accounts for them and issue cards for them and payments for them, you know, this is an obvious platform for that. We see great opportunity with sort of on-demand services, so fintechs and other businesses that are building on-demand capabilities, think Uber or Airbnb or any number of other companies like that that need a way to build an infrastructure to easily pay their independent contractors and their their workers who are doing tasks or delivering food or whatever the, the on-demand service might be. Uh, the third one is marketplaces, uh, particularly closed-loop marketplaces where buyers and sellers are working together inside an ecosystem to serve each other's needs. One of our more interesting clients is building a marketplace around private jet aircraft services. So they have a closed ecosystem where they're bringing brokers who book these trips and operators who who deliver the trips together in an ecosystem to book trips, schedule reservations, perform the trips, and then pay and be paid throughout this closed platform. And they're using our services to open accounts for the brokers and the operators and then to move the money between them as these trips come and go. It's very fascinating. The fourth area is enterprise disbursements, so companies big and small that want to move from slower payment rails to faster payment rails, or who want to move from checks to electronic payments, particularly in B2B and B2C disbursements, where a business may want to send lots and lots of payments to consumers, and they want to do it quickly and easily and fast, and they want to embed that capability inside their applications. The last group is financial management, fintechs. Uh, A number of our clients, including Digit, which is our largest client, uh, and others like them are building uh, fintech businesses around providing financial management and financial wellness tools for their customers, uh, particularly millennials who need help in better managing their financial welfare, managing their payments, paying down their debt, budgeting, and especially for uh, independent contractors. And or gig economy workers who have a small business on the side and need to manage things like estimated tax payments and get buying their own insurance and other things that they might not otherwise have. So those five categories are where we think there's the most opportunity for businesses to benefit by being able to incorporate the financial services that the platform provides into their business. Yeah, definitely. Without having to, as you said, look into how to do things from their own perspective or they don't have the time. So what's been some of the initial feedback so far from the customers that you're working So far, the clients that we've been working with really like the platform. They really like the quality of the APIs and the design of them. They're easy to use, they're intuitive, they're understandable, the documentation is good. All of our documentation, all of our APIs are public. Anybody who wants to can go see it and can sign up for a developer account and work with it in the sandbox. I think the predominant feedback is they want more. <laughs> Always good feedback. Yeah, more features, more capabilities, more services. And so, yeah. so far, so good. Amazing. So, 
with the addressing wanting more, what can we see? How can we expect to see the platform continue to grow and evolve over the next 12 months? We're looking at a couple of different things. One is being able to support a broader array of end customers. So right now our clients can only support U.S. citizens in the U.S., but they obviously want to be able to provide services to resident aliens and other you know, non-citizens, and we're working on the identity verification around that. We'll be looking at opening additional kinds of accounts, so not just non-interest-bearing BDA, but savings accounts and other things like that. We'll probably look at other kinds of card products, so prepaid services perhaps. We are looking closely at adding lending and credit services. So whether it's credit cards, but also personal loans, working capital loans for businesses, lines of credit, uh, things related to that. And then there are always more payment types. So there's integration with uh, the other U.S. payment types like real-time payments in the U.S. There's international ACH. More and more of our clients are asking about cross-border payments. Right now, we can only move money within the U.S., but we have clients who want to be able to move money from the U.S. to other jurisdictions, both business customers and, and people who want to do remittance applications to send money back home. And so it gives us an opportunity with cross-border to take advantage of the global reach of BBVA globally. Yeah, so right now, Open Platform is primarily focused on U.S., but obviously, you know, we have the advantage of BBVA being a large global bank with presence in a significant number of countries. And so being able to leverage the global reach of the bank through our platform is also something that we're looking at. Wonderful. Well, there's a lot of scope there and a lot of future diversification, so it'll be really interesting to see how BBVA really drives that in the U.S. market and beyond. Thank you so much for sharing the story, and we'll all be looking out to see what happens next. Thanks. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in this week. To listen to other episodes, head to Apple, Spotify, or Podbean and search Global Digital Banker Podcast. Alternatively, head to globaldigitalbanker.com.